Raymond Shaw, made to commit acts too unspeakable to be cited here by an enemy who had captured his mind and his soul. Listeners, and welcome to uh, Historica Esoterica. I am your friend, Roswell, and I'm joined by... Your enemy, Matt K. Ultra. <laughs> Hello, Matt. So, uh, hey, Roswell. today we're doing something a little bit different. We're yeah, talking... We were... Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, we were, we were originally the original conceit of the show. So you're going to trade off between uh, the more historical things or conspiracy things and the more right. esoteric things uh and then we realized that we didn't want to make it so that roswell always had to like research evil spirits and things like yeah, that please. <laughs> uh, and so we've we've added a third category that we're going to be trading off which is uh art of art, any variety yeah. yeah it's an excuse for us to watch movies and read comic books really yeah we think we can it. we can be lazy <laughs> yeah I'm a little lazy although to be fair this was probably one of the more research heavy episodes i did ironically yeah, um, I did go a little crazy on this one. We'll we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> but today, well, and actually, before we start, I do want to say this might be a little bit of a departure in terms of us agreeing with each other. Um, I I am almost certain it will be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> our good friend Post pointed out that he was surprised that on our first two episodes we didn't seem as contrasting as he'd expected, based on our two personalities. Yeah. Um. So this might be the one where we sort of split ideologically a little bit. Yeah, and we're we're also entering the uh, the realm where, you know, the last two episodes, my my research, there were I could point to a source for almost all of it. I could follow it back. A couple yes. of the claims that I found in some of these books, I was like, I do not see a footnote on this one, <laughs> but I believe it anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is, you know, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Another thing, my right, technically, it is your right as a red-blooded American. Um, (laughs) Another thing we had talked about when we had conceived the show is that how, and this was more of a joke, but we're kind of in our own Cold War, where um, (laughs) you're trying to make me Marxist and I'm trying to make you Christian. So we'll see how that goes. So far, buddy, you might be winning. Balls in my court. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how it goes, but um, this might be the one that changes everything. But anyway, that all of that out of the way. Uh, We are talking today about The Manchurian Candidate, uh, which was a book and then a film and then another film uh, and then not very much talked about aside from being referenced in politics. Um, But before we continue, I do want to throw up a little content warning, Uh, just some brief mentions of self-harm, suicide, child abuse, sexual abuse. Very light. Don't go into it. No details. But if you're not in the mood for that today, maybe stop here. Yeah, um, and we don't blame you, to be clear. Yeah, no, it's uh, cool. Just turn down your volume and let the episode play out, though. We do <laughs> yeah, <want> exactly. Uh, <laughs> or send Matt $10. Yeah, hey, 
<laughs> do that one actually yeah yeah <laughs> you you tap out because of the content warning just give me ten dollars and yeah <laughs> uh, i'll call it even <laughs> um okay but you let's go ahead and get into it um the manchurian candidate is a political thriller it was originally a book do you want to talk about the book a little bit first Matt? yeah so it was published in 1959 by one richard condon um and more than the other manchurian candidates uh it's sort of a it looks like it was a satire so full disclosure i started reading it and then uh decided not to read it uh it's 300 pages and i was like yeah. i well maybe i don't want to do this much work uh <laughs> at least not this much work about something you're not interested in compared yeah, to what exactly. we'll talk about later <laughs> like, i don't want to do this much work for something that where i could also watch a movie yeah exactly uh, but uh they it, it the first movie one starring Frank Sinatra was made in 1962 and it very closely follows the plot. Yeah. So we can honestly, if you want, we can just jump into the plot of the first movie. Yeah. And, and I then... think what we'll do is we'll kind of go through the plot of the first movie just so we don't spend, you know, talk about both of them back to back and maybe any big departures or yeah. memorable things from this, the remake we can just mention as we go along. Yeah, that um, sounds good. But yeah, so the the book w was made in 1959, uh, and then it was made into a movie in 1962. Like you said, it's starring Frank Sinatra, uh, Lawrence Harvey, who some people might re recognize from Columbo, uh, Angela Lansbury, <laughs> James Gregory, who some people might recognize from Columbo, and Janet Leigh, who some people might recognize from being Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, or also Columbo. So... <laughs> I figured I had to mention all Picking of that. Picking up on a theme here. Yeah. It was funny because I was watching that movie and I was like, oh, I was literally that meme of um, of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen <laughs> with every Columbo cameo. I was like, oh. I think thinking of them as Columbo cameos and not just Yeah, actors. and not just uh, famous actors. Yeah, <laughs> Janet Leigh, who was in Psycho. But that yeah, was literally my first thought, first thought. I was like, oh, Columbo. <laughs> uh, the, the 1962 one is funny because it was sort of filmed before they invented good acting. Uh, and so yes. there's some scenes that are really good and like to this day work pretty well. Like, uh, right. you know, the scene where the communists reveal their evil plot. Yeah. Uh, is one uh, that I quite like. That was good. But, uh, yeah. Then there's other scenes where like, you're like, wow, you, uh, I don't think you did a single take before they recorded this. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it was just like tr just having a transatlantic accent. That was act acting yeah. back in the sixties. Although yeah, I will so say like, Lawrence Harvey did. I do yeah. like him as an actor. Yeah, and I like Frank Sinatra as a singer, uh, despite, yeah. despite my great-grandfather, the same one, actually, who uh, we have a photograph in with Bing Crosby. He beefed with Frank Sinatra, just quick sidebar. Uh, That's because so he, funny. He worked as a lounge singer, and to the end of his days, he swore that Sinatra, like, sent mobbed-up goons to put him out of business and keep him from, like, getting, like, the same level of fame that Frank achieved later in I life. I believe it. Yeah, which, if you know much about Frank Sinatra... Not outside of the realm of possibility. Although knowing possible. a lot about you, and yeah, considering say, like the paranoid streak. <laughs> I was say, also possible that he was just an insane Irish Catholic <laughs> who believed that that happened and just yeah. didn't get, ever get big. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to make this a review of this movie, yeah. but I, so just to get it out of the way so we don't get too much into it. Um, I'll say my thoughts real quick and you can say yours thoughts. Um, I think the original one, personally as a movie is better than the remake but i don't think either of them are that strong but they have some very interesting concepts and they have some great acting mm -hmm. um they're also i feel like the 60s one 
I was having that that like feeling of like, oh, this must have been before movies were good. And then yeah. I realized I've watched movies from the 30s that are like better filmed than this. So it's just kind of like, OK, uh, it's like, yeah, this just it's just kind of mediocre. Yeah. So that's my thoughts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my thoughts are pretty similar. Uh, I don't think either of them are like masterpieces. Uh, I think maybe just because it's a little more modern. So it's a, like it's a language that I speak. Sure. More, so to speak, yeah. the 2004 one, I think was just more fun to watch. Um, Interesting. Because I could when I recognized the actors, it was like from other movies I'd seen. And not right. Like, from like, yeah, not from Columbo or going <laughs> like, ah, yes, my great grandfather hated him. Uh, but, yeah, that's um, fair. That's very fair. I, I will say, uh, I think, I mean, Denzel Washington is just he's, an incredible actor. So he's the best out of both of those casts. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's difficult for me to like say that I didn't, love the film i didn't love the film but it's difficult for yeah. me to say that when it's led by denzel washington he's very um, compelling he's a very compelling actor yeah um so yeah let's just kind of go through the broad strokes of the plot and again this is going to be following the um the 1962's plot and they differ in a lot of ways i think the big one is that the modern one takes place during the gulf war so the enemy mm -hmm. isn't the scary communist it's uh people in the desert yeah and also it's, capitalism yeah weirdly it's, enough it's, yeah, it's that it's a very 2004 movie because yeah. the villains are uh, Hillary Clinton and also global corporations. <laughs> but yeah. as there's also like scary Muslims in the desert, yes. you're like, OK, yeah. well, who work for Hillary Clinton? Yeah, it's like I agree with like, some of these villains. Yeah, like, yes. Yeah. Hillary Clinton and the evil corporations for <laughs> sure. But why did we drag these guys into it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But um, anyway, so that being said, our first one takes place in the. Uh, right after the Korean War, um, mm -hmm. so in the 50s. Uh, and the beginning is that a troop of soldiers, of U.S. soldiers get, uh, a, excuse me, a platoon, uh, get captured by Soviet and Chinese soldiers uh, and taken to Manchuria. Which already is really funny. If you know anything about just like the way that Maoists and Stalinists got along at the time, it's very funny to imagine the Soviets and the Chinese going like, yeah, we'll work together on this one to capture these Americans and take them to Manchuria. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, see, I didn't look into the much of the history of the Korean War on this one, so I didn't realize that those two groups aren't, uh, yeah, weren't it was buddy buddy. Yeah, it was very much a China and Korea fight. Uh, the Soviets okay. didn't do much. Um, but yeah, that, okay. I'd like to note. Yeah, so I had one note about like the movie, other than the first movie, other than its plot, which is. Portraits of Stalin and Mao next to each other, LOL, uh, is what I wrote down. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. Like, that's the type of stuff I didn't even notice. Yeah. So it's just sort of the vague communist conspiracy. Right. Uh, yeah. And I will say that that is sort of the tone of this where it's like, look how spooky these commies are. Is definitely, yeah. at least with the movie, I don't know if like the, the book is a little more ironic with it, considering it's supposedly a satire. Although... Uh, I doubt it. It was written by a white guy in the fifties, so <laughs> <laughs> chances are no. But uh, but yeah. So the the vague enemy is communism, um, and we see these guys get captured. But then three days later, our two main heroes, Sergeant Raymond Shaw and Captain Bennett Marco, uh, return to UN lines somehow victorious, and uh, Shaw is awarded a medal of honor for saving his soldiers' lives through combat. Although a few were killed in action, put a pin in that. We'll come back. Then there's a very, very interesting scene where Raymond Shaw comes back to America and he's the 
son of a woman who's married to a uh, senator, um, Senator Islin, who's kind of like this McCarthy-esque character. Yeah, he like one of the first things we see him do is like accuse a guy of being a member of the Communist Party. <laughs> exactly. He says that the Navy doesn't need to be like twice the size it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, oh boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically we get some tensions where it's like Raymond doesn't really like his mom. His mom's kind of this very kind of conniving political figure who's driving her husband, who's kind of sort of adult. He's kind of yeah, a doofus. He, he's an idiot. <laughs> he's an absolute <laughs> fool. Um, but like she's kind of savvily navigating him like into a position of power. Uh, and she's using her son's, you know, exploits as obviously good press. Um, and that's kind of where they come back. And now having been in the U.S. for a time, Marco, who's kind of our main character, starts having a reoccurring nightmare where he sees. Uh, and this was actually probably the most interesting scene of the oh yeah like visually speaking this one was genuinely very fun to watch i liked that one a lot it was cool because um so supposedly the communists have figured out a way to hypnotize and brainwash this entire platoon uh, and so the, the platoon thinks they're all sitting in this boring like gardening convention <laughs> of like old like, nice ladies yeah and so they're all <laughs> sitting bored and we're getting the camera panning back and forth very artistically switching between these old ladies who are supposedly talking about gardening but they're actually talking about like communist brainwashing and then the camera will flip and suddenly they're all generals and intelligence officers for china and russia and or whatever. sometimes they're like in the room but it's the old ladies and sometimes yes. like they're in the office but it's the anyway it's it's very well done it's I, very I well done it. um and i will say they actually do show a little bit of the tension between uh russia and china there and i mean it's yeah boiled down to two characters being kind of like oh you at each other but <laughs> now that you've pointed that out, I did I did recognize that. But yeah, the most interesting thing is that they're showing off like, yeah, we can tell these people to do whatever they they want, especially Raymond. He's like the perfect, mm -hmm. I guess, soldier. So they have him kill two of the um, other soldiers, the unnamed soldiers, uh, without batting an eye. And nobody thinks anything yeah. of it. Yeah, they talk about like his like latent, uh, like violent and antisocial urges and how those made him mm -hmm. like the prime candidate to be programmed. <laughs> And also, it's why like his no one else in the platoon likes him. Yeah. Um, which they hammer in a little more in the remake, uh, where there's like a scene. It's a little on the nose, where they're like all having a party in the back of the truck, and then Shaw walks in, and they all instantly fall silent and like turn yeah. off the music, and then just like yeah. stare at him. Um, yeah. They all turn off like the best 1990s rap beat ever. Yeah, while playing I don't cards. what it was, but I was, I like recognized it. And I was yeah. like, oh, yo, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the, in the 60s version, they're all just in like a Chinese brothel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just like comes rocks. and yells at them, which is like, all right, that's interesting that they show. There's a few things where I'm like, it's very interesting that they chose to put this in a Hollywood movie in the 60s, but you yeah, know, the early 60s, being said. But yeah, so anyway, the idea that they've been caught and programmed. Uh, and so Marco kind of comes to this conclusion that he's having this nightmare. And at first, like the army intelligence, like they don't really buy it. And then they find out some of the other soldiers have it. So Marco sort of gets put in charge of a task force, essentially. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, Eleanor, which is Raymond's mom, is like masterminding this plot to get her husband to the vice presidency, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of raymond's kind of being all moody about it 
Um, but we see <laughs> him get triggered uh, for the first time by calling him and suggesting he play solitaire. And then when he pulls a queen of diamonds, that like that activates him uh, and causes him to go about his crimes. I'm going to skip over some of the stuff because I don't really care about Raymond Shaw's romance with the other senator's daughter. Yeah, he, and, yeah <laughs> he's briefly like in love with the other senator's daughter. Yeah. And then, all right, skip, you know, just imagine you're sitting with your cool older brother, like the one who like fast forwarded through all the talking scenes yeah, in the yeah. Phantom Menace. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're doing right now. We're going straight to the um, Duel of the Fates. Yeah, we're going straight to Duel of the Fates and then Anakin blows up the uh, <laughs> the ship and then they all fly home. Yeah. And then that's the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we'll fast forward to, um, yeah, I guess like just very briefly, uh, one of the Chinese guys that helped capture them like comes to start working for Raymond Shaw. I put that in air quotes because um, mm-hmm. obviously he's, you know, watching him or whatever. Raymond Shaw is working for him. Yeah. And, you know, he's <laughs> like being his, uh, you know, not valet, but like his little his little boy that he tells to do stuff. I don't know what you call, yeah. <laughs> call it. His little butler. <laughs> his boy <laughs> his boy i don't know <laughs> but then like marco like comes into raymond shaw's house because he's kind of like suspicious of him because uh oh another thing i forgot to mention is all the people have been repeating the same thing whenever raymond shaw's mentioned they all say raymond shaw's the kindest bravest warmest most wonderful human being i've ever known in my life which is funny considering uh, everyone hated him right yeah yeah that's my favorite thing is once he's once Marco's really starting to get suspicious of him in the remake, he's a little more of a sympathetic character. Where like, yeah. it's like, oh, he never had a chance. But yeah. in the uh, in the original, he's like, I don't, th- I don't feel that way about him. I don't even like him. Yeah, I hate him. <laughs> he sucks. Um, <laughs> which is pretty based to hear Frank Sinatra yeah, say which, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which makes it like a lot more interesting. Where you're like, oh, okay. So it's like, so why do I always say that? You know, that kind of yeah. That's in, interesting. That's sort of like the, what uncovers this plot for Marco mm-hmm. is that everybody says the same thing. Um, but anyway, so because of that, Marco's come to Raymond's house to like monitor him. He recognizes the boy, the Chinese boy. Uh, and then like they do a little fight and it's like, OK, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then Marco meets his love interest who really doesn't matter the plot. So we're not going to talk about her. It's Janet Leigh. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? But anyway, Raymond has a, a brief romance with the daughter of a senator who's like opposed to his mother and his father's political side. Um, so we find out that Raymond Shaw's mother, Eleanor, actually knows how to trigger him. Uh, and so she, you know, pulls the cards and sends him to kill the senator in his home. Uh, and so as he does that, he kills the senator and Jocelyn like finds him doing it. So he kills her too. It's like very tragic, blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, sad. <laughs> oh, not Jocelyn. Not Jocelyn, who we... We knew so much about yeah, her. Exactly. So realistic. We saw her in a 60s full bathing suit uh, <laughs> sitting by the side of the beach when they had a flashback. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm a, I'm terrible at explaining movies, so I feel like I got the worst job here. I apologize. but I, I feel do... bad because I didn't watch this one very thoroughly. I was it's doing right. my notes while watching this. So I, I was did like, yeah, want to lead the charge on that. <laughs> I did want to point out the difference between this scene and the modern one scene. Yes. Because this okay, is, this is yeah, why we were on the same page. All right, good. Um, so in the scene where Raymond kills the senator and his daughter in the 2004 remake, he comes out to see the senator on his like lakeside house and the senator's kayaking so he goes and flips his kayak drowns him and makes it look like an accident and also kills jocelyn um what did you think about this scene matt i just thought it was 
crazy that two weeks after we discuss, uh, you know, yep. a head of an intelligence operation dying mysteriously in a kayaking accident, we yeah. get the scene where a guy looks too much into an intelligence operation yes. and dies mysteriously in a kayaking yes. accident. William um, Colby specifically, for those of you who listened to the last week's episode on the OSS. Yeah. And he had died uh, in 1996, I think. So it's about eight years before this. Um, yeah. Um, and I don't know if that was an intentional parallel or just really, really lucky timing. Uh, I was looking for interviews with the writer of the modern version or like anything mm -hmm. on it. I couldn't find anything. So I'm like, hmm. I, I don't know if it's just a, what do you call that? A synchronicity or... Or what, yeah, but pretty oh, strange. One other note yeah. about the remake: when uh, Marco is first like getting suspicious, he's talking with like uh, he's talking with that senator before he gets killed. Yes, and the senator's like, "Your evidence consists entirely of your spotty memory, things you pulled <laughs> off of the internet, yeah. and a crazy man's journal." And I was like, "Well, that, that's your." He evidence. really is speaking to me too. <laughs> like, and but here's just the thing. like Marco, I'm right. He was um, yes, and, <laughs> and so that guy got. You know, he got his comeuppance for not, not <laughs> believing he was you. killed by the assassin. He was drowned in a canoe. Um, was that John Voight? I think it was John Voight. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Let me remember. Yeah. Who is like uh, now uploading videos to like impeach Biden or something, which is like the lamest thing an actor can do. It's really funny watching it's the trajectories sad. of actors from this era. You're like, <laughs> man, buddy. Boy. But yeah, so anyway, Raymond kills the senator at his mother's bidding because it helped, you know, I guess he was going to like do some make some political move to block uh, her yeah. husband from, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he's going to try and keep him out of the vice presidency. Exactly. Basically. So and the, the idea is that they're going to get uh, the, the plan. I'll just cut to the plan for the climax is that Eleanor, I guess, is somehow involved with the Chinese. Uh, and the plan is they're going to get. Uh, this McCarthy-esque senator to the vice presidency and use Raymond to assassinate the president so that obviously their choice mm -hmm. becomes the president and he's going to install an authoritarian regime after, you know, this murder of a president. You know, he's going to use that as his, uh, I guess, basis for kind of cracking down. And I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody, but, you know, <laughs> cracking down on freedom and yeah, I can't imagine it. That's the big bad evil plan. I, I another difference I get. This is actually a difference from the novel and this movie. Mm -hmm. I didn't read the novel, but I saw this noted and I had to track it down, which was that in the novel there, it's obviously a little more fleshed out. So Eleanor and Raymond travel abroad and he actually kills more political figures. Interesting. Um, But the movie adaptations omit the novel's portrayal of incest between Raymond and his mother really only hinting at it with a kiss in both versions. Yeah, they, yeah, where she just sort of gives him a little smooch. She uh, she brainwashes and then she kisses him on the lips and you're like, I mean, I think if you were just like a normal person watching it and not researching it, you'd be like, well, that's kind of weird. But, you know, mothers do that kind of stuff. So it's like, oh, they're yeah, just kind of weird. You're, yeah, but if you're like Roswell and I, you immediately know what that's supposed to mean. Like, <laughs> ah, okay. Yes, and in the book, they actually, um, well, I'll just say, in the book, it's revealed that Mrs. Island, Eleanor, was sexually abused by her father fell in love with him and idolized him to even after he died. And then towards the end of the book, as she has hypnotized him, he reminds him of her father and they sleep together, which is yeah, ugh. not ideal. Um, <laughs> yeah, not ideal. If I if I may speak on that, uh, yeah. don't do that. Everybody no, cut it out. 
the Manchurian candidate don't don't do this to your son in any yeah. don't do any of the things that she does in this book and if you're a son and you see your mom coming by with a deck of playing cards and she's connected to <laughs> the communists or something run that's yeah, just keep, my yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that i mean obviously that stands up to us like and of course you know we'll cover stuff like that later on like epstein and franklin scandal and the mcmartin mm-hmm. preschool trial and all that stuff but like Cycles of child abuse among elite circles, right? That just yeah, immediately snapped my head. Yeah, especially as relates to MK adjacent stuff. Uh, you know, it's yeah, right. It's interesting. It's something that makes you raise your eyebrows when it Absolutely. pops up, especially in something that early. You're like, how did you know about this? And I was trying to find anything on it, and it's nobody. Nobody mentions it except like content book content warnings, <laughs> like for parents. Where it's like, yes, there's incest. And I'm like, does nobody have a a thought about how strange this is? Or is it just like provocative? I don't know. So that's another thing. Uh, And they're having a big rally as the president's going to be elected. And Raymond's got to sneak in and he's got his sniper rifle up in the crow's nest. And Marco's rushing to try and stop him before he can shoot the president to be. And he doesn't get there in time. But the twist is that Raymond actually shoots his mother. And his stepfather and right as Marco bursts in and he goes, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody could have stopped this. So I had to take matters into my own hands and then he he, uh, self kills. So (laughs) so that's sort of the plot. And then we've got like a ending scene where Marco just like goes, oh, it's really sad. And then he looks out a window (laughs) and it ends. So, yeah. And he's like, I the lack of emotion on my face just means how sad I am, really. Yes. Uh, And so, yeah, this is the thing. The ending for the 2004 film. Yes. Goes crazy. Uh, which is to say that Marco uh, goes to confront Raymond before the convention and effectively it's implied like gets just jumped by Raymond's men or some like the mysterious corporation's men. Right. And he becomes the uh, the guy from Manchuria right. instead. And he's uh, perched up during the political rally and Raymond right. is on stage. Uh, but in the critical moment, Raymond steps in front of the gun preventing Marco from taking the shot and then turns himself and his mother towards the gun. Uh, and so Marco shoots them both instead. And then it, this is where it really gets <laughs> wild. So, you know, uh, Marco attempts to uh, shoot himself, but is stopped by an FBI agent who wounds him before he can. Right. And then the FBI frames a like contractor for the evil company that actually did it as the assassin (laughs) which reveals the plot while marco just sort of like goes off to like decompress and get deprogrammed uh off in like back in kuwait where he was originally programmed and like do his healing process and somehow this works but um i don't know just watching someone shoot a a notable public figure and then the fbi framing someone else and conveniently using that to take down a group that they were working on taking down anyway. I was like, yeah. huh, huh, this is prescient. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, see, I only, again, because I re- watched like two thirds of this movie and then read the rest on Wikipedia. I didn't think too much about that as I like breezed over the uh, thing. But that is now that you mention it, I'm like, that's very interesting. That's very, yeah. very interesting. The uh, the guy that they frame is white, and there's like just an insane scene where it's like, you know, it's 2004, like level technology. Right. But there's a scene where they like show them editing the video footage, and it like shows there's 
footage of him like raising his hands as he's getting like scanned uh, with a metal detector. And the guy they is white, and so you see them like pixel by pixel recolor the guy's hands so they're white. And it's just, I don't know, that was just insane. I was like, why did we include this in the movie? This didn't need to be there. <laughs> That's not how Photoshop works. <laughs> yeah, they just like put a different guy's head on, and then all That's of a sudden, like the whole thing's fixed. But <laughs> That's strange. Anyway, they're, yeah. They're, they're both fun watches. Yeah, uh, they're all right. Not great. Nothing amazing. Say. Oh, another thing about the 2004 one is that there was also like chips, like tracking chips put into the oh, soldiers, yeah. which, you know, they dig out, you know, he digs out with like a little knife. So that's strange. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, instead of the like the hypnotism, there's a little bit of that, but also it's like microchips. They're microchip yeah. because, you know, it's 2004. We're yeah. in the future now. Exactly. If, if this movie was made now, you know what it would be? It'd be vaccines. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Vaccinate all of the soldiers <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. they're remorseless killers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, they, uh, it's, I don't know. It was just I, interesting how they're like, ah, it's the future. No more traumatizing people through generations of sculpted abuse, yes. and turning them into dissociative personalities that we can utilize. Right. No, we just use microchips now, <laughs> much cheaper. So, um, ah, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like big tubes, they connect to their brain and, you know, they sit them down yeah. in like those hairdresser things like you see at ladies hairdresser <laughs> shops from the 50s. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So hopefully that was intelligible. I think we got all the important points out. Um, maybe not the yeah. best recap of a movie ever, <laughs> but we weren't super interested in the movies themselves. I think it's safe to say, right? Yeah, it was. We were both the whole time we were watching the movie. You're we like, ah, this reminds me of the other thing I want to talk about <laughs> on the show other than this. <laughs> yes. Which so. So, yeah, so the uh, obviously the, the focus for us was the themes, specifically the brainwashing and programming to kill, if you will. Interesting. Interesting, Interesting wording. <laughs> but yeah, so just now now that we've got through the plot, just a couple more things about the movie. This movie was a flop. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> it failed to recover its cost. It was pulled from distribution uh, two years later after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which is interesting. Mm, we'll probably interesting. come back to that. <laughs> also another thing is the author richard condon who wrote the original book not a lot on him his wikipedia page very sparse and there was not a lot of materials i could find about him readily available on the internet that really told anything of interest or note but yeah i'll paint you a little broad picture he was born in new york in 1915 he was part of the u.s merchant marines which i didn't know what that was apparently that's just marines they put on a boat from you know like <laughs> to carry merchandise and they don't do anything yeah um, i was gonna say merchant marine sounds like much more ominous than it actually yeah. is no it's like they put they're put on merchant vessels just to kind of like help them out i guess and then like yeah, if there's case, like pirates show up sure and then like if there's wartime they can commandeer the vessel and join the fray <laughs> essentially um but yeah Which, that that's gotta suck you know you're just there <laughs> shipping like bananas yeah and all of a sudden they're like sorry we gotta take this to germany we need to land on the shores of normandy uh, and yeah exactly so and i'm guessing that was during world war ii based on the fact that he was born in 1915 so yeah just his general lifespan that's what i assumed as well i yeah. didn't actually check but that was my it, guess there wasn't anything that said specifically that he served in a war it just said he served in the mutant marines at least on wikipedia which was yeah. my source but <laughs> Another source I pulled says before he was a novelist, he was actually a movie publicist, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, originally working for Walt Disney and then moving to United Artists before leaving the business. Um, and apparently he wrote 
the book, The Manchuria Candidate, with a movie adaptation deal in mind already. So that was the kind of author he was. He was <laughs> a commercial author, I guess. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, working for uh, someone like Walt Disney and then <laughs> yeah. immediately leaving and writing The Manchurian Candidate. It's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how in tune with the movie world you were, Richard Condon, but you seem to have picked up on something that was going on. I guess. Yeah. And my original my original thought when I was researching this is like, I want to know who this guy is, where he comes from, how he could have this idea pre MK Ultra again, stuff we'll get into. But this idea of like brainwashing and programming to turn people into killers for the state or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, how he could have this big lofty idea that would forever inform lingo. Like people use the term Manchurian candidate to reference that sort of thing in everyday speak. Yeah. So I was like, who is this guy? I was like, did he work for the military? Like I was expecting to find something on him and uh, apparently he was just a dude. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Um, trying to find stuff about him because I, I went on that same journey where i was like huh not much i did find one thing that we'll get into when uh we get to my section of our research sure. so yeah uh now what we're gonna do this little to give you guys a roadmap as to where we're going ahead yeah uh roswell is going to take us on a journey through uh brainwashing particularly as it relates to what we were afraid the communists were doing yes uh, and then from there, I'm going to take us on a tour of uh, the brainwashing that I'm afraid we were doing <laughs> at the time. Okay. Yes. So my main source uh, was the book Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism by Robert J. Lifton. It's a psychology book from the 50s. We'll get into that in a second. I have a few quotes that I just want to read straight up, up top. Um, yeah, sure. About kind of the origin of like the term brainwashing and like the concept in the American psyche what it means sort of where it came from so here's the first quote it says quote fear of communist brainwashing seems an example of cold war hysteria but in the 1950s the fear was not without basis united nation ground forces began military action in korea on july 5th 1950 on july 9th an american soldier who had been captured just two days earlier delivered a radio speech consisting of north korean propaganda similar broadcasts by captured soldiers continued throughout the war at the end of the war, the army estimated that one out of every seven American prisoners of war had collaborated with the enemy. The final generally accepted estimate is one out of ten. Twenty-one Americans refused to return to the United States, forty announced that they had become communists, and fourteen were court-martialed, and eleven of those were convicted. End quote. That comes from the article, The Best Bad Novel, the New York Times, which is about <laughs> the Manchurian candidate. <laughs> but yeah, so... That's kind of the the initial thought when you think brainwashing, especially you know in in the fifties and sixties, like red scare stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But there was a legitimate cause for it. So here's a quote, some selected quotes from the book I talked about by uh, Robert J. Lifton about brainwashing. So, quote: It was first used by an American journalist, Edward Hunter, as a translation of the colloquialism "see now." Excuse me if that pronunciation is bad, but that means literally wash brain, um, which he quoted right. from that Chinese works. informants who described its use following the communist takeover. Uh, brainwashing soon developed a life of its own. Originally used to describe indoctrination techniques, it quickly applied to Russian and Eastern European approaches and then just about anything which the communists did anywhere. Inevitably, the word made its appearance closer to home as when Southern segregationists accused all who favor racial equality including the United States Supreme Court, 
of having been influenced by left-wing brainwashing. Interesting. <laughs> there is a more responsible, even tortured self-examination, which leads professional people to ask whether they, in their own activities, might not be guilty of brainwashing. Educators about their teaching, psychiatrists about their training and their psychotherapy, theologians about their own reform methods. Whatever its setting, thought reform consists of two basic elements. Confession, the exposure and, renun and renunciation of past and present evil, and re-education, the remaking of a man in the communist image. These elements are closely related and overlapping, since they both bring into play a series of pressures and appeals, intellectual, emotional, and physical, aimed at social control and individual change, end quote. And again, that was from Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. So, pretty interesting, I think. And I thought for 1950s, I, I did expect this book to be a little more like evil communist raging yeah yeah but he seems to have kind of a, a pretty i would say level look yeah yeah oh uh before i forget though i would sure. like to say um i don't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head but uh jimmy fallon gong friend of the show cool <laughs> on twitter um his podcast program to chill uh has a great episode about the uh korean brainwashing scare in particular yeah, uh, and that phenomenon of American soldiers uh, defecting at such crazy rates. Ooh, because, yeah. little interesting note, I have not done as much research into this as him, uh, but a lot of the brainwashing was Americans stating that we were using biochemical warfare against the Koreans, which is something that the government was denying and just saying, "Ah, they've been brainwashed to believe." Interesting. This. Yeah. Um. So, highly recommend. Just look up "Program to Chill Korea." I'm sure you'll yeah. find it. I, I um, wish I would have got the chance to listen to that. And sorry for laughing at the name. You you said it right as I took a drink of something. It almost killed me. No, it's a it's one of those names where I didn't realize the pun in the name until I like said it out loud the first time. I was like, oh, that's pretty clever. That's pretty good. Um, so yeah, that is interesting. And that was kind of a thing I was trying to like sidestep as I was looking at all of this. Which like I'm sure when you're trying to make people communists. You know, in the 50s, the Americans are going to be like, well, no, American's going to be a communist. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But like, like the more modern le level take is to be like, yeah, I'm sure the communists were like, here's some of our ideas. And a couple of those boys were like, all right, not bad. Yeah, I was going to say, you failed to consider everybody that, you know, the North Koreans were just correct in the war and uh, justified in everything they did. <laughs> well, so I don't know about all that. <laughs> <laughs> so naturally, um, we just immediately switched sides. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, continuing on with this book, um, the background of this book is that in Hong Kong, uh, Robert Lifton interviewed 25 Westerners and 15 Ch Chinese subjects who had all um, had experiences with thought reform. Um and two Western interviewees in particular, Dr. Vincent and Father Luca, who we'll talk about a little bit, uh, were both subjected to the same sequence of psychological pressures. Um, and this is being uh, held in separate prisons, far removed from each other, uh, despite differences in their response to reform and despite their differences in personal and professional lifestyles. So it's kind of a similar tactic used on these two very different people separated from each other. Yeah. The pattern was actually consistent in all 25 Westerners Lifton interviewed. Um, I think there was some departures in the Chinese interviewees, but I didn't focus too much on that. Um, but anyway, he separated it into 12 uh, psychological steps, which I'm going to briefly touch on. Each of them had about a chapter associated with them. So I did my best to boil it down to like a little sentence or paragraph. 
to give you the general idea. So again, I'm a layman in terms of psychology, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, a real doofus when it comes to this stuff. So I did my best, but uh, I'll give you the idea. But the subjects who were captured by communists and held in prisons uh, were told that the reactionary spy who entered the prison must perish and that a new man must be resurrected in the communist mold. So they are the reactionary spy and that person's going to die and a communist is going to be born. And though the subjects obviously resisted, uh, there was no way of sidestepping this change due to their environment. Um, they were forced against their will to participate in all of this until they inside themselves began to feel a need to reform. So understanding that, we'll quickly touch on these 12 steps. The first is the assault upon identity. So Dr. Vincent uh, was told that he was not really a doctor and Father Luca's religious beliefs were attacked. So there be, imagine you're being held in a prison and you're being told what you believe your identity is no good, right? Or even further, that what you think of yourself is not true. Kind of a gaslighting type of situation. Yeah. Number two is the establishment of guilt. Both the doctor and the father found themselves unanimously condemned by a seemingly infallible environment. The message of guilt which they received was both existential, you are guilty, and psychologically demanding, you must learn to feel guilty. So again, you're in this place you can't escape and you're being condemned from all sides. Uh, number three, the self-betrayal. Uh, the subjects were forced to denounce friends and colleagues and organizations that were vital to their identity. And in a sense, by doing this, they are betraying themselves subconsciously. Number four was the breaking point. As the psychological assaults continued, the prisoners begin to feel there's no escape and begin to fear total annihilation, which uh, Lifton described as the basic fear. So, you know, being killed, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some of the prisoners may be brought to suicidal preoccupations and attempts at this time. Five is leniency and opportunity. So amount of pressure is lifted from the subject, permitting them to see how they could achieve some degree of harmony with the outer world. Uh, so, for example, on Christmas Day, Father Luca was given cigarettes and tea and treated nicely by his captors, who appeared to commiserate with his misery and urged him to make a confession just so they could close the case and end the punishment. You know, so good cop situation, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, number six, the compulsion to confess. The prisoners had been told to confess or face destruction this entire time, uh, and the compulsion continues to gain momentum, provoking an increased sense of submission. Seven, the channeling of guilt. Once the compulsion to confess is operating, the prisoner is ready to learn a more precise formula. They channel non-specific feelings of guilt into a paranoid, pseudo-logical system. Their sense of evil, formerly vague and free-floating, is now made to do specific work for reform. So these vague feelings of guilt they're getting are now being kind of directed by their captors into they're focused. Specific. They're focused, yes. Um, eight, logic dishonoring re-education. Uh, both Dr. Vincent and Father Luca found that it was not communist doctrine per se which mattered, but rather the use of communist doctrine and its reasoning techniques to broaden their own self-exposure. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was no longer enough that they admit guilt, to, or even to feel guilty, or even to recognize specific guilty actions. The prisoner had to extend his self-condemnation to every aspect of his being and learn to see his entire life as a series of shameful and evil acts. Shameful and evil not only in their possible opposition to communism, but also because they violated, uh, they violated his own cherished ideals. I thought that was interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Like, you should feel bad, not only because you're not doing right by us, but you're also not doing right by you. <laughs> yeah. So n- number nine, progress and harmony. Uh, the prisoner's new self requires emotional nutrition if it is to continue to develop. This nutrient is supplied by the prisoner's achieving a sense of harmony with his no longer strange surrounding. Um, that was just a direct quote from the book, because honestly, I didn't understand that section at all. It's very funny. That, yeah, it's like step nine, self-care. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> um, step 10, final confession, the summing up. Um, so now in this new atmosphere of harmony and reality, the prisoner is ready to make a conclusive statement of what they are and what they have been. The confession has long been developing, of course, but is likely to take final shape only after they have achieved sufficient, quote, progress to produce and believe in a correct version. Uh, 11 is rebirth. The prisoner is compelled once more to become themselves while simultaneously adopting their new beliefs. For example, Dr. Vincent became uh, a physician and teacher once again, but at the same time, he became an advanced and sympathetic student of Chinese communism. Interesting. And then at the end, the reformers made it clear he should combine these two aspects of himself. Uh, he was expected to bring the scientific and technical emphasis of his profession to his study of communism and to carry over a progressive approach to his medical teaching. Number 12, the final one, is release, transition, and limbo. This is the longest one, so bear with me. Um, but uh, release and expulsion, excuse me, release and expulsion, as Dr. Vincent discovered, uh, don't put an end to one's troubles. So after uh, leaving the prison, he was thrust into uh, an environment which immediately uh, questions all all that had been so painstakingly built up during these years of imprisonment that he endured. Uh, And he participated in a new identity crisis just as severe as the one experienced during incarceration. So, for example, upon arriving in Hong Kong, Dr. Vincent discovered that um, what he had become in prison was of absolutely no use to him in his new environment. Uh, Alone with his emotions, he found himself in a devastating predicament. He had internalized enough of his prison environment to feel a severe distrust of the non-communist world, um, but was sufficiently receptive to the evidence around him to be highly suspicious of the communist point of view as well. Um, But the security he had known during the latter part of imprisonment had suddenly vanished, and so his identity is now shaken. And in this personal limbo, he was unable to feel safe or whole in either of these worlds, uh, instead having felt deceived by both. And then he longed nostalgically for the simple ordered meaningful prison existence which he now glorified in his memory you know rose tinted glasses um he could relinquish this longing only if he began to trust the new environment um this trust in turn depending on the capacity to trust himself so once more he undergoes a painful identity shift encompassing what he had been before um in what he had become in prison and what he has become in the process of release so that's all of the steps and essentially i think we can sum that up and it's you're you've trapped someone you're scaring the heck out of them you're not treating them well and you're lying to them and then being a little nice you know it's essentially just like i hate to make it this but it's essentially just like toxic behavior yeah (laughs) (laughs) um if you think about it yeah the the brainwashing techniques used by the communists uh low-key toxic uh <laughs> a couple of girlfriends I had used similar techniques. <laughs> <laughs> the Manchurian boyfriend. Uh, yeah. So the whole reason I mentioned all of this is because I wanted to figure out if brainwashing was real. 
Uh, and this and another newer textbook, which relied on this one, were really the only things I could find. And so, you know, we think of brainwashing, you're imagining like tubes and, and you know, pneumatic tubes and beeping like medical devices and surgeries to control someone's brain. But it's really more of kind of making people question reality and themselves and, you know, starving people and beating people and just conditioning people. them, conditioning them. And at the end of all of this, Lifton concluded that long term, all of these tactics could be seen as a failure because all of these quote unquote converts eventually returned to the United States. And those who had, you know, come home praising the good life in North Korea soon, re soon reverted back to American views. So it wasn't like a you've got it your hands in their brain and now you control them like Raymond Shaw. They can do whatever you want. They're perfectly your puppet. No, it was more like you <laughs> freak someone out, make them mentally ill for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, and, and it requires constant upkeep. Effectively. Yeah. And essentially, it's just about human survival. Like when we get into new situations, we've got to kind of stabilize and survive. Uh, and that's what was going on there. So also another thing I didn't mention is a lot of these tactics now they're more studied like in their use in like cults specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so like the idea of isolating people from the outside world, questioning anything, you know, only feeding them your information, like attacking any beliefs they had, attacking their old identity, saying it's bad and that they need to become good is how kind of cults quote unquote brainwash people, you know, and sort of mm -hmm. beat them into submission in terms of their ethos. Um, no, I have so. to say about that is, fortunately, no cults have ever been tied to the CIA. So we can say for a fact that the CIA doesn't brainwash people. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So and I think the last thing I'll, I'll quote is, is like, if you're a, a um, religious person, I think it's easy to go like, well, oh, you know, is all religion, you know, cult brainwashing? Um, and the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely you're, not. You're pretty clear. good. Pro you're probably safe. Um, if any of those 12 steps resonated with you, maybe be careful. Um, yeah. But as, as someone who has a faith, you know, I was reading all over this. And I'm like, yeah, none of this applies to a, this yeah. is completely different than my experience. So like my faith is fine. But I do want to read yeah. a quote. When I went to church, I wasn't locked in a cage and not yeah. given food until yes. I uh, renounced the outside world. Right, exactly. Or if you know, if you look at some of these like, um, what is it, Heaven's Gate and like some of those mm -hmm. things where it's like they become their own insular community but it's more that not even that they're just insular but like that like you can't question the authority. There's, yeah, you know, there's a, there's this level of control being exerted over not only your actions, but also your thoughts. So um, if your church doesn't do that, you're probably chill. Um, but I did want to read a quick uh, quote about that just because it was important to me. From Thoughts on Thought Control by Joe Simhart, which was just a review of the other brainwashing book I looked at by. Um, oh, shoot. What was her name? <laughs> Let me just Google that real quick. It's very funny for the first like source you forget to be the woman. You're like, ah, oh no, broad. <laughs> no, oh man, now you're making me feel ter terrible. It's okay. Roswell <laughs> definitely respects women, possibly more than I do. Um, but <laughs> come on, <laughs> you can cut that. Uh, no, it's um, fine. It's fine. There we go. Uh, it's from the book Brainwashing: The Science of Thought Control by psycho uh, physiologist Kathleen Taylor. Um, and she quoted a lot from the Lifton book. That's why I didn't cover mm -hmm. her material. Um, 
but anyway, so this is a quote about that book and kind of about what she thinks about, you know, faith in relation to brainwashing. So here it is. It says, quote, Taylor makes an important distinction that she feels is lost on many skeptics who have a knee jerk reaction to religious practice and faith. She takes issue with those who believe that uh, science functions like a well-regulated brain and religion like a psychotic one. To her, brain research demonstrates that much religious practice is not concerned with abstractions, but with real life, testing out new approaches to social problems, excuse me, experimenting with novel solutions, learning and applying ideas from around the world. In other words, the more sophisticated faiths act reasonably within their ethereal core ideas. Taylor's concern is with any human venture, be it science, religion, or politics, that restricts brain function from creative stop-and-think activity, and which becomes little more than another exclusive cult. End quote. So the idea being that like all of those steps and all of this psychological attack are to stop your brain from stopping and thinking from taking a moment to go, mm-hmm. wait a second and consider it. <laughs> um, and so if that's a kind of situation you're in where it's like your, your brain is being controlled or cut off in terms of how people are telling you your thought patterns to develop, that's when you're in trouble. Yeah, you should probably avoid that. But yeah. also, uh, to face an unfortunate reality, if you're in that situation, there is no way that they're going to let you listen to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. But if you're listening to us, you're you probably do. good. Escape. Come join yeah, me escape. and Matt's cult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Join our bunker out in the in the <laughs> deserts. Yes, we do need to start a bunker. But anyway, so that's kind of the basic science behind brainwashing. Um, I tried to look in some of like the neuro- neurological stuff. And I, it's a lot of scientists just kind of brush this topic off. Yeah, we will, we will, we'll go into my thoughts on neuroscience as a field sometime later. But oh, uh, no. <laughs> I am, we'll just say I, I take a less rosy view of it than many when it comes to thinking that it can do anything meaningful, frankly. Interesting. Um, but I'm just now I've dropped that hot little take right there. We'll uh, move on <laughs> to something much less hot, which is to say, uh, unless you're, You've got anything else you want to cover? No, that's uh, Um, uh, uh, the only other thing I have to cover. I think will feed into some of your more um, alternative speculations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, so I'm going to start out with uh, very official stuff, uh, and I will. I'll let you all know when I'm crossing over into the uh, the, across the the line of speculation of sorts. Um, But so I'd just like to first outline a little bit of the stuff that we know that people did. Right. Uh, So first of all, of course, like I said, the that plot, right, the idea of communists, uh, specifically in the Korean War, uh, brainwashing Americans, like turn them into godless communists, uh, is a, it was a very real fear. And it was uh, partially used to justify things like uh, Project Artichoke, the predecessor to MKUltra, and follow-up of Project Bluebird, uh, which is pretty much the same thing, uh, where the CIA experimented, among other things, with uh, various mind control techniques, uh, including the administration of LSD and hip uses of hypnosis, uh, along with other charming little experiments like uh, forced morphine addiction and withdrawal, and uh, just trying out extended periods of isolation to see what it did to people. <laughs> it's really cool how much of like this early period was just them going like, well, let's see what this one does. I mean, that's um, the spirit of silence, science, right? Is yeah. Like, yeah, put somebody <laughs> in a big metal box, see what happens. <laughs> Um, however, before we get into that stuff, I would like to make just a quick sidebar yeah. uh, about dengue fever, uh, a virus 
is transmitted usually by mosquito bites that this, uh, the CIA was experimenting with as part of Project Artichoke. Right. Uh, so they released it from airplanes. They would fill bags with mosquitoes uh, and then drop them uh, onto a predominantly African-American low-income community in Florida. Uh, they oh. had like newly built public housing units. Uh, and they did that so they could test things like the uh, virality of the disease, the mosquito bite rates, and things like that. Uh, they did this in the 50s. I forgot to write down the exact year. And I know the answer to this, but I'm just going to have to ask for posterity. I'm assuming these low-income African-American Section A housing you know, deal didn't know this was happening and we're not. Oh yeah, no, they okay. were not informed. They, uh, yeah. later on people sort of put it together where they realized that like at the time these experiments were being done, there were outbreaks of dengue fever, which is not a particularly common disease in Florida. Right. Um, it only really had outbreaks around this time. Uh, then again in the eighties, uh, where notably in 1981, Cuba experienced an incredibly intense and aggressive dengue fever outbreak. Hmm. Um, that hospitalized over 100,000 Cuban citizens. Uh, and at the same time of that outbreak, Cuba uh, CIA planes were flying over Cuba and doing covert biological attacks against Cuba citizens and crops, uh, including a particularly nasty swine flu outbreak that Fidel Castro uh, openly associated with the CIA. Um, Interesting. And lastly, on that little note, before we go into the mind control stuff, I found a quote that I, the reason that I did this sidebar is this quote which is to say uh, something from a CIA memo about the use of viruses on civilian populations. Not all viruses, sorry, quote, not all viruses have to be lethal. The objective includes those that act as short-term and long-term incapacitants, uh, end quote. So hmm. just something to consider when you look at large outbreaks of viral infections that <laughs> originate in countries hostile to American interests. Um, yeah. I don't know. That doesn't uh, sound then, familiar at all to me. I can't. Someone living of, in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, a, so now returning to the mind control things. Yeah. Uh, a declassified CIA document from January 2nd, 1952 uh, shows artichoke operatives considered using hypnosis to create assassins. Uh, I read through this document at one point. It theorizes that they could be used, quote, against a prominent redacted politician or if necessary against an American official. Uh, oh, man. And then an asterisk following the sentence leads to the bottom of the page where it says that this would be simulated only, uh, right. of course. And of, um, of course. Yeah, uh, and, you know, Project Artichoke, this is early 1950s before. MPL, yeah, so this so. is early 1950s. Hang on, let me see okay. if I wrote down the exact date that Artichoke started. Of course August 20th, 1951. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I do have the date that MK Ultra picks up, though. Yes. Um, so yeah, from there, Project MK Ultra, uh, which I'm eventually we're just going to cover yeah. MK Ultra in its entirety. I'm sure it'll be a seven-part uh, series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it upped the ante even more. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Roswell, just a little pop quiz, fun fact for you. Uh, do you know who pioneered the practice of administering psychedelic drugs to prisoners? Um, who pioneered the practice? Yeah, if you guessed Nazi scientists at the Dachau concentration camp, <laughs> uh, several of whom were later recruited by the CIA, you were correct. Um, <laughs> I did not guess that. Wow. Yeah, they administered mescaline to prisoners uh, for Good psychological God. experiments, which is something that no one talks about, I've found. Like, a lot of people talk about the fact that LSD was, right. you know, basically 
made by the CIA, and then it mysteriously escaped the lab and became this whole tool for freedom. Right. Which, yeah, right. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but no one really talks about the fact that psychedelic experiments in general were founded by the Nazis. I think that's a little something to consider if you're if you want to delve into the yeah. collective unconscious or go through the doors of perception. Yeah. Careful. Uh, Careful. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. MKUltra was headed by Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, a wonderful gentleman from all accounts. Uh, it started on April 13th, 1953. Uh, and unfortunately, most of their documents were destroyed in the 1970s. Uh, so we don't know much about the depths of their hypnosis and mind control programs, but we do know they tried to ascertain which personalities were the most susceptible to hypnosis. Uh, like that is, that's a, an effect. Um, uh, did they find it was incels who were spurned by e-girls? Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then anyway, because all the records were destroyed, we can only imagine uh, and assume, I am, I guess, that all of their attempts to control people's minds failed, and in shame, they destroyed their records. Uh, so yeah, no one would know. exactly. <laughs> um, so now we're going to enter the zone, uh, the, the speculation zone, perhaps. Sure. Uh, so I am like I said, bracing myself. <laughs> so that the CIA tried to develop mind control programs is a fact. Right. right? That's now, known. Whether or not they succeeded is the real question. And yes. I think you and I, I imagine, probably come down on opposite sides of that fence i don't know if i'd say um, opposite yeah or at least i dive off the end of the fence and you sure uh, take a careful step yes um so this is the fun little thing i found i found a quote from richard condon author of the manchurian candidate uh he wrote in the forward of a 1978 book by walter boer uh hey, was it boert my mistake called Operation Mind Control, the CIA's War Against America. Interesting. I missed this one. Yeah. And so Richard Condon wrote the foreword for this book. And I just have a little quote. I, the quotes are a little long, but after what you did, I don't feel bad about reading long quotes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it was very interesting. Uh, so he says, uh, quote, Today, our secret police and our military establishment have demonstrated in Vietnam and elsewhere, as examined by Boert herein, the powers to create assassins out of our children. The expansion of these powers, which are able to turn young men and women into murderous criminals at will, goes on unchecked by the oft-called, quote, investigative press, by, quote, moral leaders at the bar, in the pulpits, in high government, and on campuses. Yet the people they call the public have long suspected that it has become government policy to control minds. If there is general information abroad on this subject, then consider that which must be at the disposal of a congressman, uh, sorry, of congressional investigations committees huh. as they Google their determination of con to control the powers of darkness within our secret police. Zombie is a quaint, old-fashioned folklore word, but its meaning becomes obscene when our children's minds are being controlled by any one of dozens of federal secret police agencies. Have government agencies perfected methods sustained by the taxpayers to control the minds of the people who shot the Kennedys, Martin Luther King, mm. and Orlando Letier, the former Chilean uh, economist and diplomat? Were the assassins programmed to forget that they did it? Or that were they programmed to do it? We may never know, for they stand bewildered, idiotically grinning for the cameras. <laughs> Have the technicians developed a model giant, economy-sized government assassin, which can be easily turned out by the thousands? Uh, end quote. Um, we get I found it, Richard. That, like, You're a writer. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, Richard, you uh, went off there. You did go off. I'm imagining so I, uh, hand clapping emojis between every single <laughs> word. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, as I so as I looked through Operation Mind Control, it's honestly kind of crazy because this was again it was written in 1978. So yeah, uh, MK <clears throat> was considered to be like crank stuff at that point. Like that mm-hmm. was not something that most people were talking yes. about seriously. The all those um what what remained hadn't been declassified yet at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like it wasn't until a little later at the CIA were like, LOL, yeah, we actually did do yeah, all that. Yeah, we Our did. It. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but we promised it didn't work. Uh no, you can't see the proof that it didn't. No, we're sorry. gonna be 70 when they go like, yeah, we did COVID. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing, is I keep saying like I, I know that like I'll like ruin my daughter's wedding or something absolutely like, they, they'll declassify documents about 9 11 i'll just stand up and scream like i was right <laughs> uh, <laughs> as we all live in but, underground tunnels because the surface of the earth is too hot <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um and now uh so I, I sort of i scrolled through operation mind control nothing too yeah. crazy uh but nothing too like super interesting or useful outside of the fact that the foreword was written by the guy who wrote the manchurian candidate yeah um that is very interesting now the, the other thing, it's finally time for us to take a little look Ugh. at uh, an important book, uh, which is to say one Dave McGowan's Program to Kill. Uh, made it, and folks. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go too into the actual plot of the well, not plot, but the actual like point that he's getting to, which sure. is he argues that serial killers were used as sort of a domestic gladio mind control type thing, yeah, uh, and controlled using MK Ultra things. Now. We will get into our thoughts on that, I'm sure, some other episode. <laughs> yes. But I'm just, I focus on the intro, where he dedicates himself more to arguing that mind control is a possible thing. Sure. Um, and actually, going back to your discussion of the communists using it, uh, he quotes, uh, hang on, where is it? A quote from uh, Verdier is the name of this guy who wrote uh, some stuff on brainwashing. Uh, he wrote, quote, uh, the sorry, Russian political scientists do support the belief that given enough punishment, all the people in any time or place are susceptible to hypnotic control. Uh, and he has a little footnote there, which leads to him saying, this is a very common form of disinformation that is frequently found in the writings of CIA-affiliated writers. Acknowledge that mind control is a real phenomenon, but then blame it all on those godless communists. Other agency-penned manuscripts deny that mind control exists at all, which is another common form of disinformation. Hmm. And uh, that's McGowan's style for you, in a nutshell, right yeah. there. Um, but he argues about how, like, why would an intelligence agency not want to do something like this? To create a spy who can effectively enter a dissociative state. Uh, and he goes into a, I think, fairly compelling example of showing that all people are susceptible to those, just mild ones, right? Like, he talks about, they call it driving on autopilot. Like, you get in the car, and then all of a sudden you're at your destination, you have no memory of driving. Obviously, you weren't, like, hypnotized by this. But on some level, you dissociate a little bit. You went right. into autopilot. Uh, your yes. mind was elsewhere while you were doing it. Uh, and he argues that whether or not they succeeded, he argues that the CIA would definitely want to look into doing something like that. Uh, he says, uh, quote, hang on, here it is. Uh, as dubious as Estabrook's scenario may first be, appear to be, and he's talking about the idea of like a super spy who can go on a mission without remembering the details because he doesn't know he's on a mission. Uh, and then be deprogrammed when he gets back, uh, you know, say by being presented with a card of some sort or something. Um, let's see. Uh, so he says, as dubious as Estabrook's scenario may at first appear to be, it's not so very different from the common phenomenon of driving on autopilot. Let us imagine that you haven't managed, once again, to find yourself at work with no idea how you got there. You remember nothing beyond pulling out of your driveway. So you decide, out of curiosity, to pay a visit to a skilled hypnotist 
who succeeds in putting you under, so to speak. While in this hypnotic trance, another term for a dissociative state, you would be able to relate to the hypnotist and anyone else in the room all the mundane details of your drive to work. Once brought back to a normal state of consciousness, however, you would still have no conscious memory of your drive to work unless instructed otherwise by the hypnotist. You would have served, in essence, as a super spy. All that is missing from the equation is the element of control. Uh, Interesting. And so that's that's the basic program to kill hypothesis, which is something that I personally uh, am quite compelled by, as we uh, yes. as we've noted before. Um, and, and I, I just promise, Matt, I'm going to read it one day. <laughs> Eventually, one day, we'll we'll do that as a, a big special episode. Uh, <laughs> that'll be our very special episode as we sit down and just read Program to Kill and it's together. Entirety. We can do uh, <laughs> a fireside read of it. Oh, I I would love a fireside a mug read of hot cocoa. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's um, very interesting. Um, can I interject? Please, please. I was, okay. I'm hope, I was hoping you would. <laughs> well, so in line with this like idea of brainwashing to the essentially of the control of it, right? So, according now, this is obviously according to CIA themselves. So, yeah, so. I don't trust this as far as I can throw the entire <laughs> Central Intelligence Agency, but this is what they said, and I think it's important to note on the scientific research of mind control that uh in obviously mk ultra the 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 idea was brainwashing it was control um but sidley gottlieb himself said even though they didn't supposedly achieve this goal they were able to quote uh blast away the existing mind of a human using torture techniques um yep where and like inserting a new personality into the void they created was not successful at least at that time and uh, there are people who disagree with this uh like for example psychiatrist colin a ross um who is also controversial and maybe we'll look into him later but so the idea is we know scientifically you can destroy someone's mind Which especially is it yeah it's a crazy thing for Sidney Gottlieb to admit that openly. Yes. Like, yeah, we can blast a person's consciousness yes. away. Using uh, LSD and torture and God knows what else, right? But the interesting thing, and I think the difficult part, is what you know. Um, uh, Dave McGowan is alleging here, which is that that you could have a person be a person and then dissociate and have mm -hmm. a second personality whose actions they don't remember and are under the control of another agency. And that's interesting, but I could not find anything outside of the more fringe stuff yeah. that backed this up. But that being said, as a counterpoint to myself to kind of give you a little bit of credit, <laughs> the scientific research on brainwashing outside of the stuff we found from the 50s, very scant. So, yeah, which, you know, if you're a little more paranoid, you might say is possibly by design, right? You don't. <laughs> Uh, if you're doing illegal human experimentation programs, you're not going to want uh, other people to do the legal human experimentation programs and draw attention yeah. to yours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's fine. I, I'm not like offended at all by you like acknowledging that my sources were a little more fringe. I think I've consistently, I think, uh, delved a little more into the, the weirder sources while you yeah. uh, stick closer to the official ones, which is fine. I think we got to have that little dialogue going. Yes, yes. But yeah, I I just think it's an interesting thing, and I, I don't know, I would like to uh, close the episode, uh, unless you have anything else to say, by asking you a question. Oh, 
before we do that, I you, yes. did you not want to talk about JFK in relation to the Manchurian? Oh, I um, I completely forgot. Please, yeah. uh, I'll let you kick this off, and then I'll sound okay. in when I feel appropriate. Um, so I have some fun quotes to read about J- the JFK connection to the Manchurian candidate. Those videos um, you sent me were great. <laughs> for the listeners, I found a what was the video called? Uh, hang on, let me pull it back up. It was, yeah. It was a video of a guy filming his TV, like yes. standing up with a camera. Um, Richard oh. Condon knew who was going to kill JFK <laughs> is the title. Of and it. he's just talking. You can't quite hear him. And there's a glare to the TV. Actually, I think it's like his laptop screen, too. Actually, yeah, it's, <laughs> it rules. It's pretty sick. So and he's got it's like 13 videos, all the same name posted. It's just the same thing. They're all like. 30 seconds long he's um, talking over the movies so you can't hear either of them like uh pretty sick um but anyway yeah so obviously the book is written in 1959 the movie is released in 1962 jfk is assassinated in uh shoot 1963 i believe so hang on yeah oh, i'm ashamed so, of myself for not remembering this i'm JFK pretty sure it's 1963 yeah, November 22nd, okay. that I did know, 1963. So I want to read a quote. Um, this is, again, I believe from The Best Bad Novel by Louis Menand, New Yorker. Um, but it's sort of about some of the connections to uh, mm-hmm. JFK and this movie. So, quote, Frank Sinatra, who plays... Uh, Captain Marco, the only friend Raymond has, is supposedly asked his friend Jack Kennedy for his approval before the movie was released. Uh, United artists were apparently afraid that the assassination scene might give some nut an idea. Hmm. Kennedy, as it happened, loved the movie. He was, after all, the world's most famous Ian Fleming fan. He was killed a year after the Manchurian Candidate came out. Did Lee Harvey Oswald see it? The problem has been examined in depth by John Locken in a book called Oswald's Trigger Films from 2000. Locken concludes that although the evidence is not definitive, Oswald almost certainly did see it. Excuse me. The Manchurian Candidate opened in Dallas in November 1962 and played there for several months. Oswald, who was living in Dallas at the time, had a habit of going to the movies by himself. He was in a movie theater when he was arrested on November 22nd, 1963, after shooting at it. Locken has determined that the bus Oswald probably took to work passed within 10 yards of a theater where the movie was playing, confirmed. Locken is most struck by the fact that the references to the Manchurian candidate are almost non-existent in the literature, official and otherwise, on the Kennedy assassination. He concludes, in the spirit of all scholars of that assassination, that the probable Oswald connection, so utterly obvious if one thinks about it, has been suppressed for decades by a powerful conglomerate that might aptly be called the media entertainment complex. Um, And then here's a second quote, which was, immediately after Kennedy was shot, Richard Condon got a call from a newspaper reporter asking if he felt responsible. Condon could not see the relevance, and he was not being defensive. Uh, he had not introduced political assassination to popular American culture. Uh, All the King's Men in 1949, and We Were Strangers the same year, Lewis Allen, Suddenly, 1954, also starring Frank Sinatra. All of these had assassination, uh, a political assassination in them, and Oswald could have easily seen all of these movies. Um, but this is the part of the quote that, and the reason I pulled this second quote, which is, <clears throat> more to the point, the Manchurian Candidate is a story of a man programmed to kill at the command of other people. 
What self-respecting assassin would take such a character for his role model? Either Oswald acted according to his own wishes, in which he, case he wasn't imitating Condon's killer, or he really was programmed by the communists, eh. in which case the question isn't whether Oswald saw Frankenheimer's movie, but whether his communist masters did, end quote. So that second one was a little more ancillary, but the fact that it said programmed to kill specifically, I thought you'd yeah, like. Well, we got to read it. And you're like, I know that Matt's going to be quoting this one, so <laughs> let's just have this in the chamber for when it yes. comes up. But ostensibly, like very, it's very, very strong possibility that Lee Harvey Oswald saw this film. Yeah, he saw this film and then decided to act alone and shoot JFK and then yes. call himself a patsy when he was caught. You know, just as <laughs> you always do when you see a movie. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't exactly know what to conclude to this other than mm-hmm. it's just sort of sus, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's the same as like, I don't know. There's also, especially when an assassination occurs, the media that the victim consumes is always... Uh, frequently, yes. it's sort of ominous, right? Like, you know, Abraham Lincoln very famously seeing Julius Caesar like 30 times yeah. before his assassination. <laughs> uh, like, little, you're like, hey, buddy, yeah. come on, watch something else, please. Yeah. You're, you're manifesting something I don't like. Exactly. Um, but it's... yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely interesting to consider that. Um, and it's interesting to consider the parallels uh, if you're you know, like me, a little less interested in whether Lee Harvey Oswald watched the movie and was like, well, I need to kill the president to impress right. Jodie Foster. Uh, wait a minute. No, that's uh, <laughs> no, sorry, right. my mistake. That was the other programmed presidential assassinate. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm less interested in that and more in whether or not Lee Harvey Oswald was also a was also was programmed to kill. Right. But yeah. And so I guess sort of in, I guess, in summation, um, do you think that brainwashing is I, I rather I know what the answer to that. So I'll say <laughs> how plausible do you think it is that brainwashing of that level and of control exists? Uh, yeah. So I was going to ask you the same question. I'm glad we were on the same page okay. as to how to wind this one out. Uh, I think the answer is I'm obviously I'm more likely to believe that than the average person. I think just based yeah. off of my reading. Yeah. Uh, but I think, um, I think it definitely doesn't occur like it does in the movies, right? Like, I don't think you like, sure. read someone a code word and then all of a sudden they're stone cold killer or they're right. back to being like Joe from down the street. Uh, I think a lot of it really does have to do with uh, much uglier things, right? Like torture through years or very intense and controlled childhood trauma, uh, you know, possibly through like the more satanic ritual aspects of things that were going right. off or other things like that. But I think... It's something that is possible and I definitely believe has happened throughout America's history in particular. You know, like Sirhan Sirhan is the example I always point to, right? Guy mm-hmm. who killed RFK. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the answer I'd give you is I think it's possible. I think it happens. I don't think it happens like the movies. Um, Absolutely. And I don't know. I don't think it's something that's as easily controlled as people think. But I do think it's something where you can control it in yeah. the very least sometimes okay. or just point the gun in the right direction and let them figure out the rest. Right. So to speak. Yeah. And so I guess we're on a similar page. I, I'm probably a little more reserved about it than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not rule it out as a possibility. 
special, but like, I think it's a, a less um, sensationalistic, obviously, than the movies make it. It's not going to be some machine or some sort of, you know, like fanciful tactic. You know, it's going to be more like the tactics we read um, from thought reform. Yeah. You know, this communist thought reform, which was essentially just torture and psychological, you know, psychological torture and physical yeah. torture. And also, like you said, you know, child abuse. Uh, yeah, which, <laughs> you know, because when we. When we get the stomachs for it, I'm sure we'll discuss that yeah. at some point. But yeah, and I mean, we're just not looking forward to it. No, we're not. But briefly, <laughs> like you know, if people who have child abuse obviously have more the likelihood of you know increased violence or increased you know all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So, listen, it's not a foreign idea that the people like the FBI and the CIA would. I don't want to say what's the term, not frame, but um, entrap, entrap, persuade someone who's already kind of a shaky mentally and then just mm-hmm. kind of like point them in the direction they want to go and have them lead a destructive path yeah this is something i would argue they do a lot um uh, yeah but i'm again like you i'm like you said earlier i'm probably a little more gung-ho about that yeah. accusation than yeah. most people would be but sure um and i'm not saying i'm saying like i could see like i absolutely don't doubt that the cia mm-hmm. if they had brainwashing wouldn't be doing this stuff because of course they would be because it it acts you know, you have to think about what are the interests of the people who could do something like this. And yeah, we, you know, we'll talk about that later with the CIA, but like (laughs) I could see them based on like a lot of their goals for control. Absolutely. This would be something they do. Yeah. And so whether or not every single serial killer has been MK ultra'd, uh, I'm a little more kind of iffy on, but you know, if I may, uh, speak just candidly about my thoughts on program to kill as a whole i think um it's a book where uh dave mcgowan really is at his strongest when he uh you know sometimes as it comes to the sources or the facts he's a little shaky as to where they all come from right he like it's extensively sourced but sometimes the sources aren't the best but what he's best at i think as you read through it is just sort of pointing to a lot of weird things or just pointing out every inconsistency in a case and going like, I'm seeing a pattern here. It's very similar. I'd say to uh, like Tom O'Neill's chaos about the Mansons Mm -hmm. where at the end, he doesn't really produce a definitive smoking gun, but he, you know, he raises a lot of questions and I think program to kill in particular is a book that I've, I've described it to other people where I was trying to pitch it to them. I'm like, even if it isn't a book that is 100% like factually true, it is, I think, spiritually true on a level where it understands yeah. like, MK Ultra and the just, right. I don't know, the moral emptiness that you need to do things sure. like try and destroy a human being and replace right. their mind. You think the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law and that sort of exactly. thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I would agree with that. And, you know, it's another one of those things where, like, when we you do this type of research, you just inevitably run up, run a, across a lot of... Um, uh, what do you call that? Circumstantial evidence. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, which paints a certain picture or adds up in interesting patterns, but it is all circumstantial. Does that mean it's not useful? No. But like you said, there's just no smoking gun. There's no, yeah, you know, knife in the and murder so, room. So, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, we have to, uh, you know, acknowledge not all of these sources are created equal, right? The CIA sure. isn't ever going to go on their website and go like, and uh, here's the here's our second photo of the man standing behind Lee Harvey Oswald holding another <laughs> gun, giving a thumbs up. Right. Like, right. right. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to piece and together what you can. From- George Bush. 
Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> guy from the mailroom, actually. Yeah. Uh, the that, future that, president that. had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, uh, but yeah. So I guess that's sort of where I'm at. Anything else you want to say? No, I, uh, I think that's about it. So we'll just, uh, real quick plugs. Uh, hey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We've got, uh, we're building up a couple followers on both platforms. Yeah. Uh, some lovely people. Uh, so we are at Hist Esoteric on uh, Twitter, and we are at Historica Esoterica on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. Give us a follow there. Uh, reach out to me. Tell me what you think. I've had a couple people tell me that they've uh, liked the show so far. And uh, yeah. if you're one of them, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And uh, well, not, yeah, thank you for listening. Oh, and, and uh, if you can, oh, yes. write, uh, please write us a review and leave us five stars on Apple oh, Podcasts right, yeah. and Spotify, you know, just so we can get these insane ramblings out to other people too yeah yeah i let me be clear everybody i will not consider this podcast successful until one of us uh mysteriously dies in a canoeing accident (laughs) and the uh the other one commits suicide with two gunshots the back of the head yeah because he's just so distraught over of course the the death of his (laughs) co-host and basically i'm just saying until we get some good reviews going on Apple Podcasts, that's not going to happen. We won't die mysteriously until that occurs. So you got to so help us. So don't review recently. us under any circumstances. <laughs> so wait a minute. Yes. To be clear, don't tell your friends about this podcast. Don't even follow us. Uh, make sure we stay as small as possible. Yeah. Um, but uh, with all that said, uh, thank you for listening. And remember, it's all connected. At a flick of a switch, we can adjust character change personality. How much do you actually know about your friend? I served under him. He was a good man. That's what the neighbors always say about serial killers. Somebody got into our heads with, 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 with big steel toe boots, uh, uh, cable cutters and a chainsaw, and they went to town. Neurons got, got, got exposed and circuits got rewired. Our brain cells got obliterated.